Welcome to another episode of Jerk Radio Solo Edition. The audio quality may be shit, but at least you're getting what you pay for. I'm your host, Ohagubi, standing in for the usual jerk crew. Last episode we, by which you mean I, covered some of the more common character themes and archetypes in City of Heroes and City of Villains. This made a lot of people very cranky. I can't imagine why. It's not like I named names or... Oh wait. Well, okay, fine. So, maybe I did name names, but... The point is that I soon realized that I missed a few. So, consider this part two of our journey into the wonderful, unique world of character concepts. Bad communication. I feel like the president of the USA. Mr. Bad Now then, if there's one villainous archetype that gets a lot of respect, it's the chessmaster. One man plotting and scheming, tugging at strings, making people dance about to his whims, and occasionally sitting in a big chair swishing around a glass of wine chuckling evilly to himself. You know, guys like Dr. Doom, David Xantos, and the entire fucking cast of Death Note. Normally it takes an incredible amount of intelligence and cunning to pull off complex plans woven from layers upon layers of deception, but Thanks to the downright tepid IQs of the folks in the Rogue Isles and Paragon City, damn near anyone can start a plot to take over the world. I haven't seen or heard these criminal masterminds and would-be iron-fisted dictators doing much of anything to advance their plans and enact their subterfuge, or however you engage in subterfuge. Mostly I've just seen them stand around in seedy interdimensional bars, fortresses of evil they share with a dozen or so other villains, and the occasional public free-for-all talking about how their view of the world is the only correct one. Now everyone will eventually kneel before them, singing their praises. One can only conclude from their actions that the world does, in fact, conquer itself. Well, either that or it's much easier to have massive world-spanning plots when you don't actually need to do anything to enact said plots aside from just mentioning that they exist. Nobody ever stops to consider just how gosh darn crowded the megalomaniacal overlord market is. There's Arachnos, the armies of Lord Nemesis, the Council, the Praetorians... If you're talking about groups that just plain want to control the Earth regardless of how it's done, you could add Cray and Malta to that mix as well. It's kinda hard to get good minions when other, better-funded organizations are hiring them up with promises of cool uniforms and promotions within, you know? Their best bet would probably be to work their way up to second-in-command to someone important in a pre-existing organization, then betray their commander and usurp their power before forming their own faction. I mean, there's a long history of second-in-commands betraying their overlords, and Paragon City and the Rogue Isles is surprisingly genre-blind, so you could get away with a plan this obvious. Hell, even Lord Recluse himself betrayed someone to get control of the organization that became Arachnos, and not even he sees it coming when you backstab him. Though, to be fair, he's probably become complacent because all of his second-commands are too busy screwing each other over screw him over. Sure, you were supposedly dead for a couple of years, but if he didn't expect you to come back to life and kill him in his moment of triumph, then he damn well deserves it. I guess the moral of the story is, if you want to get anywhere in life, let someone else do all the work and then take all the glory for yourself. Either that, or don't hire anyone smarter than you. 
Sad part is, both of those morals are old news to a lot more people who hold a lot more power than they have any right to have. Welcome to the human race. If the skulls make their masks out of dead people's, well, skulls, then how can we never see any of them in Dark Astoria? It's the only zone in Paragon City with graveyards, and you'd kind of have to be dead before someone can take your head bones, so what gives? Uh, I'm sorry, but my sense of immersion is just shattered here. I can't probably immerse myself in the City of Heroes experience unless the devs take steps to either explain or solve this glaring inconsistency. I mean, this is just sloppy writing. What am I supposed to do? Come up with my own explanation for it? Uh, no, that's god-moding. I'd like to think I'm a little bit better than that, thank you. I'm not about to simply ignore this, either. It's not like they give you the option to overlook it, after all. Either the devs fix this problem, or I leave. It's that simple. My $15 a month gives me the right to be heard, and if they don't want to hear my problems, then they must not want my money. And this time, I really mean it. I know I said I was leaving after they introduced that stupid Ricty crash site back when they added Granville and when they added Crow Toa, which, I might add, is totally out of place in a superhero game. This isn't World of Warcraft, after all. But this time, this time, I'm totally serious! Paragon City has got to be the new mental illness capital of the world. Aside from about half the city suffering from shell shock due to repeated interdimensional invasions, kidnappings, and other assorted attacks, we have a remarkable amount of people with latent violent tendencies who lose their families or loved ones to crime. Enough so, the city's obituaries must have a daily newspaper all to themselves. Which is kind of strange, because whenever I play as a villain, I can punch, freeze, irradiate, shank, and otherwise bring harm to all the civilians I can find, and they just keep going with an area of scratch. So these individuals who have lost friends or loved ones, feeling that the system isn't working hard enough to keep the people of the city safe, go out to, uh, well, I guess you can say that they go out to punish the people who did this, as well as anyone even remotely related to them, and generally anyone they don't like. I know this is a hindsight 2020 sort of thing, and I know that I harp on this, but maybe it isn't such a good idea to live in a city where the efforts of several thousand superpowered individuals are barely enough to keep crime in check. Not even the good kind of in-check, either the if-we-didn't-do-this-the-entire-city-would-fall-apart kind of in-check. It's like moving to Darfur and getting all huffy that the government decided to take you on a one-way field trip to a mass grave. The dictionary term for this is vigilante, namely someone who ignores due process of law in lieu of their own form of justice, usually one that involves violent death. But the word kind of loses its impact when you realize that a good majority of heroes don't really give a crap about that sort of thing. I mean, how many of them legitimately fight crime in this game and act like they're arresting people or calling on the cops to clean their messes up? Because from what I've seen, there's practically none. The only difference between your average hero and your average Punisher knockoff is that the Punisher knockoff only got off his ass, got into gear after his family was killed. And they brood about it a lot more, but that's neither here nor there. If you ask me, they really need to deal with their grief in a more productive way. I mean, yeah, fighting crime with guns is productive, mostly in the producing dead bodies way, but I meant that in a more psychologically healthy sort of way. There's enough of these guys around that they could form a support group, but they probably wouldn't, considering that they're all angsty loners. But still, it's a thought that counts. If I was a villain, you know what I'd do? I'd funnel massive, massive amounts of money into psychiatrists and grief counselors in Paragon City. Have you seen how many people start fighting crime due to deeply traumatic events in their life? Every person that learns to cope with their loss without dressing in black and talking about urban battlefields is another person who isn't out to shoot guys like me. And I think that's a win-win situation all around, don't you? I was going to say something about all the heroes and villains with amnesia, but for some reason I can't quite remember what it was. Strange.
I'm not even saying that because I couldn't think of anything better to say either, so don't even try and accuse me of that. Honestly. I think my Droog Ribbon put it best when she said that, upon becoming a villain, you instantly lose access to most of the color wheel. Because despite having a metric ass ton of color choices, the main color you see people wearing in the Rogue Isles is black. I don't just mean little highlights here and there either, I mean just black and little else. Seriously, go to the black market villains <laughs> black market. Anyway, go there villain side and take a look at what's there. It's nothing but a small mob of people in black trench coats, women in black tights, black shirts, black boots, black skinned demons, blackity black black black. The entire thing is one invader's impost away from turning into hot topic. In stark contrast to the monochromatic bent through aisles, the majority of comic book villains are actually pretty damn colorful. Doctor Doom, shiny metal armor, green tunic, green hooded cape. The Joker, bright purple suit. Magneto, red and purple armor. Hell, even dark side dresses in a real deep blue instead of outright black. It's almost as if comic book artists realize that, as a visual medium, they can employ color to make things seem more distinctive, dynamic, and, well, I guess you could say, alive. But fuck that, man. Black is cruise control for evil! Of the characters that do wear black in comic books, it's usually shorthand that the character is meant to be grim and dangerous in some way, which is probably why everyone and their dog of the Rogue Isles does it. Unfortunately, this leads to the whole effect being watered down a bit. Plus, the Rogue Isles villains usually aren't half as intimidating as I'd like to think they are. You can wear all the black trench coats with black spikes and black skull masks all you want, but don't expect me to be instantly scared of you just because I could trip over you in a dark room. It's what you do that makes you a right best, not what you wear. Like I said, the Joker dresses in a purple suit, but fuck if I'd want to meet him in a dark alley. While we're talking about black costumes, I might as well bring up the whole issue, and I use the term very loosely, of mandatory Arachnos uniforms for the villain side epic archetypes. Personally, I don't see what the big problem is. After all, with all the near identical outfits and coloring villains have, they're practically wearing uniforms anyway. Oh yeah, one more thing. Wearing a black trench coat does not instantly make you a badass. Just a schmuck. Wearing a sleeveless trench coat not only makes you look like a schmuck, it makes you look like a schmuck that can't afford proper clothing. I know you want to spend all the bank heist money on hookers and blow, but for crying out loud, would it kill you to get something that doesn't look like it was pulled out of a Salvation Army dumpster? Sheesh. You know who has style? Nemesis. He's a steampunk Doctor Doom, a concept that's so awesome that Marvel did it themselves in the 1602 miniseries, and prior to that, CBS in the 1960s with Miguelito Lovelace in Wild Wild West. There's just something about huge, unwieldy brass weapons and robots powered by coal and armed with Gatling guns that gets you right here, you know? But there's this one little problem. In one of the Maxwell Christopher arcs, you find out that he used the super dangerous civilization-killing MacGuffin of the plot arc on an Earth in another dimension, with said Earth being primarily composed of people of African descent. The main implication of this is that he chose the planet because it was primarily composed of people of African descent, not because, say, it was the first dimension that came up. Overall, it's a really lazy way of making him unlikable without actually putting in effort to illustrate why, which is even more ridiculous because they've already done that! I mean, it's like they didn't trust us enough to think that a warmongering tyrant with aspirations of interdimensional domination would trigger a war between two dimensions for his own gain and tested out a weapon that killed off the population of an entire planet was a bad guy, so they stuck in an, oh yeah, that planet was full of black people, to drive it home with all the subtlety of a Carlos Mencia Dane Cook doubleheader. Because clearly, Omnicide is only unforgivable when motivated by racism. Speaking of poorly implemented bigotry, you know what blows my mind? Mutants who are either afraid of, or enraged by, anti-mutant sentiments. 
Now, I can understand anti-metahuman sentiments because, hey, metahumans are kind of the reason the world's in the sorry state it is now, and it would be kind of scary to know that there's things out there that can kill you with their mind. But specifically anti-mutant discrimination? What, are there people out there who ask every hero and villain they run into how they got their powers? Here you are, citizen, safe and sound. You one of them mutants? No, citizen, I simply get my powers from ritual sacrifice and consumption of infants. Oh, well thanks. If you have some guy whose genetic structure somehow allows him to manipulate flame, how can you tell him apart from people doused in chemicals, very realistic looking robots, human mages, and aliens who could do the same exact thing? Because you really can't unless you put a lot of time and effort into it, and man, that's way too much effort just to be angry at someone. It's like if the clan had to write a five-page essay before they could stick a burning cross on someone's lawn. Even if you could tell them apart, why would it just be mutants? That seems needlessly specific, if you ask me. It could be because they're born instead of made, but then again, some aliens are born with powers too, and magic is an inborn thing sometimes as well. It could be the fact that it's genetic, but there's plenty of non-mutants whose powers were gained from genetic engineering or other sort of biological tampering as well. Of course, all of this is dancing around the real reason why people assume there's anti-mutant sentiment. Because of X-Men. At no point in either City of Heroes or City of Villains is there anything implying that people hate metahumans who got their powers via mutation specifically because of what they are. But, because folks hate mutants and X-Men and there's mutants here, well, logically everything else must carry over as well, right? But hey, it's not like having an idea that completely contradicted canon ever stopped anyone. Ergo, we've got all these groups dedicated to either stopping the non-existent oppression of mutants or simply out to conquer the world because they're convinced that Homo Superior has a sovereign right to rule the Earth because it's more evolved. This, despite history proving time and again that it's not only possible but very, very common for two species with the same biological ancestor to coexist, and that the only thing that makes one of them superior is a value judgment by humans. Not to mention that at no point in history is being more evolved than any other given species is a surefire ticket to survival. They won't think Darwinism is so hot when it comes back to bite them in the ass, I can tell you that much. To be honest, it's not like having characters based on something radically divergent from canon is anything new. It's that nobody ever really stopped to consider whether or not it made sense within the context of the game. Although, considering how often people take character ideas wholesale from comic books, I can see how swiping the entire lay motif of one of Marvel's top-selling comics lines without second thought would be expected. Plus, if the internet's taught me anything, it's that people love having persecution complexes, and even if the reason for it contradicts what's in the game, who am I to design their pleasures? Although if I did, they'd feel persecuted in the game and in real life, doubling the bang for their buck. Hmm. Huh. Being the leading developer in the field of bad science, Craze cranked up more than its fair share of renegade lab experiments. If it's a lab-grown aberration of nature, technology run amok, or simply an unnatural jaunt in the god's domain, odds are the folks at Cray had a hand in it. They are utterly devoted to their craft, enough so that you can't help but wonder if the rest of the company only exists to pay for giant labs full of glass tubes and complicated machinery that doesn't seem to do anything except explode spectacularly when you whack it a few times with a mace. If you take a look at their track record, comparing their successes and failures, and by failures I mean metahuman projects that escaped, killed a good portion of their staff, or otherwise rebelled against them, it's, uh, not very good. Like, at all. Honestly, I think it's safe to say that, at this point, Cray doesn't know what the fuck they're doing. Their scientists probably aren't even real scientists, just something like liberal arts majors with a lot of resume padding. Their only halfway successful metahuman project involved cloning dead heroes. That's not even proper evil science. This is that's kit bashing for crying out loud. Someone else did all the work and now you're just putting it together yourself. 
Even then it's a crapshoot, because they end up having to deal with the Paragon Protectors against sentience and end up escaping their clutches, going on to wage one-man wars against the corrupt corporate empire. You know, the usual. I think that their main problem is that the evil science isn't even scientific by comic book standards. What kind of mind thinks up crazy experiments, anyway? Moreover, what kind of mind agrees to it? Uh, some of the boys in the lab have some new plans for developing metahumans. Okay, what are they? Well, uh, we are going to kidnap random people off the street and stab them with electric knives to see what would- Hold on. Don't a stabbing electrocution kill people? Uh, yes. Simulations show that the voltage and wound depth we would be using would be fatal in nearly 99.9999% of all cases. But we think we can get it to work. Okay, go on. The other plan would be to kidnap random women, or otherwise trick them into signing up for pharmaceutical tests, then altering their DNA so they would turn into cat-woman hybrids that will, according to our plans, be perfectly loyal to us. Failing that, we would sell them online. I hear there's a big market for that sort of thing. That's perfect. This can't possibly go wrong. And that's just the intentional attempts at bad science. I can't even begin to count how many heroes and villains got their powers either through negligence on Kray's part or simple dumb luck. I mean, just how many unsealed containers of hazardous material, mysterious devices, and abandoned underground laboratories can one company have, anyway? Well, if the metahuman population is any indication, they can have a whole fucking lot of them. Between all the science labs, council tunnels, and ore bacon ruins, I'm surprised the entire city hasn't collapsed into a giant sinkhole. And yet, overseeing all this madness is the Countess. I don't just mean the running the company and signing off on things sense either. I mean that half the create-created heroes and villains were the result of utterly batshit experiments that Countess Cray personally kept tabs on. Between keeping watch on all these soon-to-be player characters and getting beaten up or arrested, you have to wonder how much time she really gets to run the company. Maybe that's why things are the way they are. I'm surprised the board of directors hasn't tried to get her declared legally insane. Although considering how Cray operates, half of them are probably Paragon Protectors and the other half left the suits of prototype battle armor, dedicating their lives to taking the company down from the outside. Still, they're doing a damn sight better than EA. If you're one of those people who hates hardcore role players or hardcore min-maxim PvPers, just remember that there's already a just punishment for them. Namely, having to put up with other hardcore role players or PvPers. It's funny how that works out, isn't it? As a heterosexual male, I like lesbians. I'm also more shallow than a half-filled kiddie pool, but I don't think that's relevant. What is relevant is the fact that a lot of other heterosexual males like lesbians too. So, in the interest of enlightening a silent minority, I'm offering up this bit of information. Believe it or not, the lives of homosexual women do not consist of long strings of sexual encounters with near-complete strangers. I know, it surprised me when I found out too, but it's true. They are, in fact, perfectly ordinary and nearly indistinguishable from heterosexual women. As a matter of fact, like heterosexual women, not all of them are built like supermodels. Shocking news, yes, but what can you do? I don't make the rules. This whole thing is a point of contention among certain parties, most notably ones who are more interested in the physical dynamic of same-gender relationships and not the social ones. Not that these sorts of thoughts enter their minds when they're doing the deed, of course, nor do thoughts like, that scantily clad succubus I'm currently eating out is probably played by some fat beard. Not that I blame them, considering that they're too busy having cybersex to- Oh, I'm sorry. Erotic role-playing. Wonderful euphemism, that. Yes, just as shell shock became post-traumatic stress disorder and goatfucker became anthropomorphic artist, so too has cybersex become erotic role-playing. Here's a little hint. If you shit in a box and give it a fancy deceptive name, it's still a box of shit! 
Oh, don't get me wrong. They pay their 15 bucks a month, and they're entitled to do whatever they want when they're here. Even if some of them do act like text descriptions of sloppy blowjobs are on par with Shakespeare. And despite all my cynicism and loud noises, I really couldn't care less about what you do behind closed doors. Keywords. Behind closed doors. While I may know it's going on somewhere, that isn't enough to make me want to start up another inquisition to ferret out the undesirables and strong arm them off the server. Ignorance is bliss and all that. Unfortunately, subtlety is not seen as a good thing around these parts, which usually leads to people advertising the shit in public, filling their bios with lurid and hilariously wrong details while they stand around in places where people can take screenshots of them and, best of all, having cybersex and Ouroboros in the day. This does not, by any stretch in the imagination, constitute closed doors. Hey, when you hang your dirty laundry out in the open, you lose the right to act all huffy when people make fun of your skid marks, you know? Here's some advice. If you do that last one there, the cybering in public one, odds are you're going to end up with some jerks like me showing up with a couple of mastermind friends to turn your private soiree into a gangbang. Even if you're not the kind of person who shows up uninvited to cyber orgies, I'd recommend doing so once in a while. Having three quote-unquote women in their underwear acting all indignant toward you for interrupting a business meeting that they were having with their tons? It's always fun. Of course, the only thing funnier than crashing orgies in the D is listening to people who are absolutely scared shitless of even the most remote possibility of being hit on by someone. This is probably why most role-playing now takes place in bases with other pre-approved people from other coalition supergroups. I mean, heaven forbid if someone role-playing the average male character would have him find a big-chested blonde and tight spandex attractive, right? Man, what's wrong with those sorts of people, huh? The Pocket D? Good heavens, man, I would never deign to visit such a low-brow establishment full of unsavory individuals. But, um, weren't you one of the people who was asking for it to be built for the express purpose of meeting people for role-playing and making the whole thing easier? Uh, yes, but I never imagined that the other people would try to role-play with me. Don't they know how important I am in the esteemed MMORPG community? You mean regular people? Oh, is that what you call them? But I thought that role-playing was all about, you know, meeting new and interesting people and interacting with them as a form of escapism and not just intellectually inbred ego-jerking and prescripted storylines that almost invariably revolve around the self-pointed big names of the server. I suppose that's why you're a jerk, then. Yes. Yes, I suppose it is. The moral of the pocket D is never ever try to do anything nice for anyone, because eventually you're going to regret it one way or another. Because I'll be damned if the devs didn't just get the entire thing thrown back in their faces months after it was revealed. But seriously, people are genuinely afraid of this sort of thing, and just as afraid of going into the D. Like being there unlocks some sort of drag us into a back room and have you away with someone power. Stranger still, the possibility of simply messing with these people for shits and giggles never seems to enter into their minds. I mean, just off the top of my head, I could think of five or six ways to get rid of unwanted suitors and amuse myself and everyone around me at the same time. Uh, this goes back to that whole non-scripted thinking on your feet thing I keep harping on, you know? But man, if they like that in a game, I'd hate to see how they'd react in real Actually, no. I'd love nothing more than to see their reactions when an attractive woman or man approached them and prompted them for an intimate, no-strings-attached relationship. Mostly because the ensuing conversation would be, hands down, the funniest thing I would ever see in my life. You can usually tell, with a reasonable degree of accuracy, which gay male characters have straight male players because they're usually, in a word, flaming. I really can't hold it against them, though. I mean, if they had them behave less like crude parodies and more like, you know, 
actual human beings, there's a chance that they could empathize with them, causing the barriers of exaggerated masculinity they set up around their fragile male egos to crumble and cause them to catch the, the gay. gay. And we can't have that, now can we? My rampant wanderings through Paragon City and the Rogue Isles, I have seen many, many strange things. Most of them female. Since the market for online gaming is predominantly male, there's a very high chance that these strange female things were created by guys. Since these guys are the internet, there's a distinct possibility that their interest in these strange female things might extend a little bit further than simply playing them. So what am I getting at? Let me present to you Hakubi's Law. Given enough time, a male player will eventually create a female character with specific physical attributes or personality traits they find sexually attractive. Or, in layman's terms, everybody's got a kink and eventually they'll make a character based on it. Some of them are really easy to figure out. Most furries in Succubi, anything with an erotic RP tag in the bio, but after that things get a little bit harder. It's really not something that most people should think about though, because eventually you're going to be looking at every female character trying to figure out where they fit into things. After I figured this law out, I think a little part of my sanity kind of broke off and floated away somewhere between the torture porn and the mud play. So yeah, now that the idea is in your head, prepare yourselves for a long, lingering descent into madness. It'll be fun! Man, this got hella raunchy toward the end, didn't it? Wait, we're on? Oh. Well, I guess that's that. Sell in all comments, concerns, suggestions, and flames to eden.ataraxia, that's A-T-A-R-A-X-I-A, at gmail.com. You could probably carbon copy that to thisisjerkradio at gmail.com while you're at it. We love getting email, mostly because we can read it on the air and make fun of the writer afterwards. And I apologize if anything I've said planted seeds of doubt in your mind that your characters may not be the unique and beautiful snowflakes you think they are. Because they aren't, and nothing will ever change that. This has been Jerk Radio, I've been your host, Ohukubi, and remember, even if internet arguments are like the Special Olympics, nobody wants to lose to a bunch of retards. Good night.